Ephesians 5. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word, verse 21, down through verse number 26. That was sermon number one. Now let's get on to sermon number two. We're going to read responsively. I'll begin in 21 and we'll begin together in verse 22 and we'll read in that pattern down through verse 26. The Bible says, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. You may go into a Baptist church for any length of time. You have heard these verses. Uh, you're familiar with these verses. And so uh, we're going to use this as a starting point. We'll be back in this passage throughout the message. We're going to begin a series of sermons entitled Enemies of the Home. Enemies of the Home. And we're going to look at enemy number one, or the first enemy that we'll look at today is this word indifference. Indifference, an indifferent attitude toward what God has called us to be and do within our responsibilities of the home as Christians. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for what we've already seen and experienced this morning. Lord, that video moved me to tears a few minutes ago, thinking about all of the soldiers who have given their life for our freedom, thinking about the 22 individuals on average that die of suicide each day, uh, because of the rigors and hardships of war. Lord, we, we pray, God, that you would uh, pour grace upon this land. May we be uh, the change we want the world to see. And may those changes begin at home. Lord, the most patriotic sermon I could preach this morning is a sermon that helps Christians to live out biblical roles at home. May we, Lord, live out exactly what your word teaches this morning. Help us to lay down our ideas of what the culture has taught us about how marriage works and uh, parenting works. And, Lord, help us to embrace your word. Lord, uh, give us hearts that are tender. And, 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 Lord, help us to follow through on what we hear that lines up with Scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Meet Ralph. Ralph has been married for seven years to Julie. He's gotten what some would label the seven-year marital itch. He and his wife have three children. The oldest is six, the middle is three, and the youngest is a newborn. For Ralph, marriage has left the fun stage and has entered a stage that, is not, that he does not want to have any part of. Early on in their marriage, Ralph enjoyed long weekend trips with Julie. Um... He enjoyed liberty to do whatever and go wherever he wanted with his wife at any time outside of work commitments. Three years later, three kids later, Ralph is no longer getting the attention that he once got. He is not greeted at the front door with a kiss from his wife, but rather a crying baby and a request to change the diaper. Long weekend trips are a thing of the past, and truth be told, his wife, at the end of the day, is exhausted from chasing three little ones around. That She has no interest or no energy, rather, to meet his romantic expectations. His wife has gone from a trendy, attractive wife to a pajama-clad, spit-up-smelling, cranky, tired mother. One day, in a very cold-hearted manner, Ralph walked into the house from work. 
He packed his belongings, told his wife he was leaving her. Ralph chose to leave his wife in exchange for the cute little secretary at work. Ralph now drives a sports car and has his romantic weekends back. Ralph cares only about himself. Ralph is selfish. There's another marriage I want to tell you about. This couple has been married for 30 years. Their names are Bill and Wanda. Bill and Wanda have quite the reputation in their town as having a strong marriage. There, this is a status that neither one of them want to lose, that being married to each other offers. But behind closed doors, their marriage is a very different story. You see, Bill gets home from work every day around 5. He walks in the door. He sits and has his dinner. After dinner, he makes his way over to his favorite chair where he watches the same shows. Many nights, he falls asleep there and then stumbles into the bedroom in the middle of the night. Wanda misses the romantic luster that Bill used to offer. Bill is frustrated that Wanda always nags him about this, that, or the other. Bill and Wanda are married, but they don't have much of a marriage. Their marriage has been bitten by the bug of indifference. The bug of indifference. I am here to tell you that while we all look at Ralph and are astonished by his actions... Bill is not much better than Ralph. Bill is not much better than Ralph. Indifference toward your family can and eventually will ruin your home. Ruin your home. Let me just say this morning that you ought to make it your goal to earn a doctorate degree in what makes the people in your family tick. You ought to earn a doctorate degree. Now listen, when I married Angela, I barely had a bachelor degree, or rather a high school diploma in what made Angela tick. And I'm still learning and growing and, and what makes her go, what makes her work. Uh, years ago, Angela was crying, and I said to her, what are you crying for? She said, I don't know, you tell me. And I said, well, if you don't know, I don't know what's made, what you're crying about. And, and, and listen, uh, uh, my wife, as all women are, is a complex person and, and someone I've got to work to get to know more and more and more and more. And, and listen, I ought to work to get a doctorate degree in what makes Angela tick and what makes Matthew go and what makes April work. And uh, it is my goal to be invested day in and day out, week in and week out, month out and month out, uh, uh, month and month out, year in, year out, in loving and growing and not being indifferent Toward my family, the indifference bug bites many homes and hurts them. We get used to each other. We get used to each other. We take each other for granted. We quit saying please and thank you. We just assume that such and such is going to do this and that and I can behave however I want. And, and now that you are married to me or now that you are a part of this family as a child or now that I just know that you're my mom and dad and you're going to do this for me or that for me, we grow indifferent, we shrug our shoulders, if not actually, metaphorically, figuratively, we shrug our shoulders and say, well, it is what it is. That's just how things go. I believe that where Satan cannot ruin a family with scandal, he will ruin them with indifference. This is a sin that plagues many, many, many homes. And this is a sin that must be defeated if we're going to please God in our homes. 
This morning, let's look at three main thoughts about this idea of indifference and the enemy of the home. Now, uh, I have thought about doing a family seminar, and I've, I've had people ask me to do a family seminar. I am thinking about doing a life group on the Christian home next quarter. I may very well do that, uh, but uh, I am going to give you a fire hydrant worth of information And uh, you drink in what you can and write down the rest. So I've given you lots of blanks to fill in on the back of that uh, bulletin. And I would encourage you to go through this thoroughly. Now, whether you're here today and you're married or not, there's something for you. Whether you're here today and you have children or not, there's something here for you. Because all of us have parents. uh, All of us have family relationships. Or all of us have influence over those who have family relationships. And so if you can't directly use this information, then you indirectly use, uh, you could uh, directly use the information to help someone else out. I'll I'll word it that way. Number one, let's jump in today. Uh, uh, Principal thought, number one, notice indifference toward our roles. Indifferent toward our roles. Letter A, notice the husband is to be the leader. The husband is to be the leader. Ephesians chapter 5 Verse number 23, look back there with me, Ephesians 5, 23. It says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. And notice there the Bible says that he is the head of the wife. Now, the culture today will ridicule and call this system antiquated, outdated. They'll even go as far as labeling it as sexist, but all they have to offer is broken marriages and broken homes. Broken marriages and broken homes. You can ridicule, you can nitpick, you can call the Bible anything you want, but the truth is, if you can give, find for me a man and woman who are married, who are in spirit and in truth, following Ephesians 5, you're going to find a couple who's joyous and happy and loving life. Uh, you show me a, a couple who thinks the Bible's way is dumb and they mock it, and, and they're, uh, they're, they're going at it their own way, uh, I'm going to show you about 50% of those marriages are going to end in failure. Let the numbers speak for themselves. Now, when the Bible says that the husband is the head of the wife, the Bible says he is the leader, well, let me tell you what that doesn't mean. What that doesn't mean, uh, the Bible does not mean that he is to be a dictator. He's not a dictator. You don't come home and throw your weight around and and boss everyone around, woman this and woman that, and and little woman, get over here and do that. Not a dictator. Not a dictator. That is not the behavior of a man who is a loving husband. He is to lead uh, with a loving spirit. And I'd write this down. He's to lead with a loving spirit. He is to lead with a servant spirit. He's to be a servant at home. He's to love at home. Yes, he is the leader because God has called him to do that. He is not to be a dictator. He is not superior. He is not superior. Our world, I hope our teenagers are really listening to what I'm about to say. Our world has told this generation coming up really truthfully has told even my generation this when I heard this coming up. Here's the lie we've been told. That difference means unequal. Different does not mean unequal. You can be different and still be equal in God's sight. You can have different roles. We need to get back. You're talking about America needing to get fixed. One area where America needs to get fixed is we need men to embrace manhood and women to embrace womanhood. This shoving each other to the middle, to a unisex place where everyone tries to be the same. And now we've gone past pushing people into a unisex middle where everyone's the same to where we're pushing men to be girls and girls to be men. Listen, we need men to be men and women to be women. And we need to get rid of the confusion in this society.
I don't say that in, in any sort of an unkind way. I don't say that in a mean way. I don't mean to hurt feelings when I say that, but Satan is the author of confusion, and he has worked very hard to sow confusion into our culture. And it all began when, men, uh, when women began to believe that anything a man can do, she can do better. Amen. Let me just say this morning that God gives men the ability to do some things better than women, and God gives women some things that they can do better than men. Amen. And women need to embrace what they're better at, and men need to embrace what they're better at. Amen. And we need to just leave it at that. Just need to leave it at that. God makes no mistakes. Are you listening this morning? Amen. When God gave you... Your chromosomes, he knew exactly what he was doing. When God makes a man, he intends for him to be male. When God makes a woman, he intends her to be a female. I had two sisters growing up, and uh, one of the two of them was very tomboyish. Very tomboyish. We played basketball. Man, she's out there playing basketball with us. We played baseball. She's out there hitting the baseball with us. We played two-hand shove football. We didn't play two-hand touch. Two-hand shove football, right? How many men played two-hand shove football growing up? And it was because we weren't allowed to play tackle, right? My mom would not let us play tackle, so we just tackled hard, right? We just shoved. And uh, my sister would get out there, and she would play two-hand shove football, except when I shoved her, I got in trouble. Uh, she'd shove me. And uh, listen, uh, she was a tomboy, but at the end of the day, God made her to be a woman. Amen. We need to embrace our roles. Different does not mean unequal. You can be different and be equal. God does not make the man superior. Take your Bibles over to Galatians 3, and look with me at verse number 28. Galatians 3, verse 28. The life group I taught earlier this morning, I filled it for Brother Carson. We looked at this verse in a different context, different light. Quickly, Galatians 3, 28. Um, the Bible says, for sake of time, I'm going to begin reading. Uh, I encourage you, if you don't know this verse or not familiar with this verse, underline it in your Bible and become familiar with it. Memorize it if you can. Uh, the Bible says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. free. Look here. There is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. What's, what's the Bible saying here? It's not saying to do away with the distinction. It's saying that in heaven, men and women are equal with each other. Men and women are equal. By the way, I hope you're listening this morning. Everywhere that Christianity is gone, women have been given more and more and more freedom. Christianity is the trailblazer for women's rights all over the world. You show me a place where Christianity is sucked out and one of these other world religions comes flowing in, I'll show you a place where women's rights are often taken away. Often taken away. Back when Galatians 3 was written, women were treated as inferior. Women were treated as less. And Paul came along and he told men, quit bossing women around. Quit treating them like property. They are equal in God's sight. God is a God of order. God's order does not teach inferiority. Men, God did not take Eve from Adam's foot. God does not want you walking all over your wife. Ladies, God did not take Eve from Adam's head. God does not want you bossing him around. At the end of the day, Eve is to come alongside Adam and offer a set of things where he is weak, and Adam is to offer Eve a set of things where she is weak, and the two are to complete each other and become one. Number one, not a dictator. Number two, not superior. Number three, not always right. How many ladies know that your husband is not always right? Amen? Amen, ladies? Amen. How many sit say, my husband's not always right? Are you willing to raise your hand, ladies? Okay. All right. 
How many men would say, I'm not always right? How many? I, wow, okay. Carlos, you won't raise your hand, will you? All right, you're always right, aren't you? All right. Listen, just because your husband is in charge doesn't mean he's always right. doesn't mean he's going to be a perfect leader. God has called him to be the leader. If we were to take the logic of the women's rights movement that women would be equal with men, how would that logic play out at work? Well, I'm equal to the boss. You'd have chaos at work. We understand order at work, but we have a hard time understanding order at home. The husband is to be the leader. Let her be. We see the wife is to be the completer. The wife is to be the completer. Look at Ephesians 5, verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Look down at verse 24. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Ladies, I'd encourage you to write this down. A godly wife is to be a completer, not a competitor. A godly wife is to be a completer, not a competitor. Our music industry, Hollywood, the streaming services, are, uh, uh, much of our culture today uh, is working so hard to flip around the order that God created. If you're not already doing this, if you happen to watch commercials, any sorts of advertisements, we're all uh, uh, bombarded with advertisements, whether you're watching a a YouTube video, scrolling through a a Twitter or Facebook feed, whether you're watching a streaming service on TV, uh, we're all bombarded with commercials. Pay attention to what commercials do. They take God's intended roles and they flip them around. They do this all the time. Do this all the time. Let me give you just a couple of subtle examples where this happens. You'll see a commercial that will show a wife coming in the door from work while the husband is sitting on the floor playing with the kids. Or the wife is lounging on a chair on the back porch while the husband is trying to figure out what the wife uh, wants to eat for dinner. Now, I'm all for husbands cooking, and I'm okay with wives relaxing. That's not the issue. That's not the issue. Please don't miss what I'm saying here. It's the purposeful intent to try to flip God's order of how the home is supposed to work. Wives, God has called you to come uh, into line and to follow the leadership of your husband. You are not in competition with him. You are supposed to work to complete him, to complete him. Um, Men, let me just say this to you quickly. A lot of wives want to follow a husband, but the husband's not leading. And that leaves the wife in a bad spot. Men, grow backbone, stand up and lead your home. We need men who will lead. We need men who will be men. Set the direction. Set the tone. Don't be a jellyfish. Get a backbone. Be a man. If your wife's taking your man card from you, take it out of her purse, put it in your pocket, and man up. I'm not talking about being mean. I'm not talking about being unkind. I mean, get a backbone and lead your home. Ladies, you listening? If he wants to lead, you have to let him lead. A lot of you ladies make it hard on your man. Because he tries to lead and you ain't following. He's trying to take you somewhere and he's throwing up his hands in disgust because everything he says, you're antithetical. You're you're in opposition to. And and, and listen, we need ladies who will challenge their husband's thought processes, but at the end of the day say, okay, if that's what you think, that's what we're going to do. Indifferent toward our roles. Let her see. Notice the child is to be the complier. I'm taking some liberties with the English language, you English majors, you grammar Nazis, uh, I know it's fingers on a chalkboard for you, but just uh, 
uh, be, uh, be gracious my direction. The child is to be the complier. He's to comply. Proverbs chapter 1. Take your Bibles over to Proverbs. Let's look at a handful of verses in Proverbs, especially if you are uh, living at home with your parents still. Let me encourage you to get your Bible out and look at these verses with me. Proverbs 1, uh, verse number 8. Proverbs 1 and verse number 8. The Bible says, My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of your mother. Look at chapter 2 and look at verse number 1. Chapter 2 and verse 1. My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, for length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Look at chapter 3 and verse 1. Solomon continues writing to Rehoboam. He says, My son, forget not my law. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Chapter 4, verse 1. Hear ye children the instructions of a father, and attend to no understanding. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. My son, attend unto my wisdom. Look at chapter 7 and verse 1. My son, keep my words and lay up my commandments with thee. You've heard me say before that when children are six and seven, they ask why because they think mom and dad know everything. When they get to be 16 and 17, they ask why because they think they know everything. All right? The Word of God, specifically the book of Proverbs, has labeled children as simple. Simple. Can I just tell you something I have learned, and I learn more and more. I, 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 my clarity on this gets, uh, I, let me back up. I become more clear on this the older I get. Some of you that are in your 70s and 80s, well, you, you see this crystal clear, all right? The older I get, the more I realize I don't know anything. I don't know anything. If I had a marker board up here and I were to draw a giant circle, and that circle contained all of the knowledge of the world in it. And I were to put my hand at the top and start moving down. Where would I have to stop to indicate what you knew inside that circle? If you were to take all of the information of the world and you were to quantify that uh, by grains of sand, you could hold one grain of sand and that probably still wouldn't represent what you actually know. That would probably still be more than what you actually know. But we're arrogant. We act like know-it-alls. And teenagers are some of the worst offenders. Mark Twain said, when I was 16, my dad didn't know anything. And then when I turned 23, I realized he knew everything. He said, my dad got real smart in seven years. Children, the best thing you can do is understand that you don't know as much as you think you do. Mom and Dad know more than you do. Learn to listen to them. You have been given the role of being obedient. Whether or not your mom and dad are right does not matter. You've been given the role of being obedient. It would be a great day if you would understand that your parents are prudent, God-honoring guides that are trying to give you wisdom 
You need to compile their advice. You need to value their instructions. You need to commit to live their advice. I can already hear someone say, well, my mom and dad are not Christians, and so I'm not going to listen to their advice. When their advice lines up with Scripture, you need to value it and cherish it and live by it. Number one, an indifference toward our roles. Number two, an indifference toward our responsibilities. An indifference toward toward our responsibilities. Let's go back and talk about the husband for a minute. The leader is to be, letter A, a communicator. A communicator. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, the Bible says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. I could spend a whole sermon uh, just talking about this topic. Let me just quickly say that if you fail to plan, then you plan to fail. There was a survey done. You ever, uh, how many of you remember back in the 90s, early 2000s, you'd walk through the mall? And no one walks through malls anymore, do they? But you'd walk through the mall, and they'd have these people out there with clipboards, and they're trying to do an anonymous survey. How many of you ever did one of those anonymous surveys in the mall? You know what I'm talking about? And I got, Angela and I got pulled in one of those uh, early on in our marriage and, and uh, asked us some bizarre questions. I don't remember what they were anymore. But they were doing one of these mall surveys, and they pulled husbands and wives into a room and put them in a separate space and would ask them the same set of questions. One question that was asked in the survey was, to the wife, how many minutes a day do you need to properly communicate with your husband? And she said, an hour a day. An hour a day. How many of you think that it was, uh, how many would vote for the over-under here with the husbands? How many think that it was more than an hour a day for the men? How many think that it was less than an hour a day? It was way less. Right? They asked the men the same question. How, how much time do you need to properly communicate with your spouse? 15 minutes a week. 15 minutes a week. A week. I think we've got a problem here. An hour a day, 15 minutes a week. Ladies, can I just tell you an hour a day, that's not realistic. 15, guys, you listening? 15 minutes a week? That ain't going to cut it. That ain't going to do it. You say, I don't like to talk. Well, can you listen? With your phone out of your hand, with the TV off, right? Years ago, there was a Klondike bar commercial. And the guy's sitting on the couch with his wife. And there's a, an imaginary timer above his head. And if he listens to her intently, until the timer goes off, he gets a Klondike bar. And, and you can see the sweat billowing on his brow. The timer goes off. Yes, he gets the award. You guys, you've got to listen you have to communicate. You cannot properly meet your wife's needs if you don't know what's going on in her life. You have to dwell with her according to knowledge. Now, ladies, I'll get to the ladies in a minute. Let me just speak to the men. <laughs> Got to keep this in proper channels here. Stay on track. Men, what we do oftentimes is um, because maybe we feel corrected or complained at by a wife, we shut the channels off to our heart. We don't want to open up and share because we're afraid they're going to come in and attack. Listen, men, God's called you to be emotionally intimate with your spouse. And if you're not listening to her, if you're not understanding her, you listen this morning? You're not, then you can't, you can't say you have much of a marriage. 
God has called you to be a communicator. That means that you both listen and you speak. And I know this is the oldest marital advice ever given, but it just has to be, uh, us men are dumb and we need to be reminded, okay? I'm saying this for me as much as I'm saying it for you. When she's telling you her problem, just listen, all right? A great question to ask your wife as she starts into telling you about her problems is, do you need me, do you need a listening ear or do you need advice? It's a great question. Let her tell you. And if she says, I need a listening ear, then don't give her any advice. Just listen. Just listen. Learn to communicate. Let her be. The leader is to be a cherisher. A cherisher. Look at Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Verse 28 and 29. So ought men to love their wives as their own body. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. Husbands, how much are you supposed to proactively nourish your marriage? How much are you supposed to heap love and honor and praise on your wife? How much are you to cherish her and your relationship with her? As much as you do your own body. As much as you do your own body. The truth is, men, we love ourselves a lot. We love to eat a lot. We love to have nice things. We love our chair. We love our chair in the living room. I come into the room and my kid's in my spot. That's dad's seat. We love our sports teams. We love our hobbies. We love our job. How many of you men here have become particular about the way your drink, your beverage is made, right? You know how much, what beverage you like and how much ice and stay away from the alcohol, amen? I know some of you guys are thinking, ah, yeah, I got a beverage. (laughs) The sad truth is some men are more passionate about the way their coffee is prepared than they are about their marriage. I'm not trying to be cute or funny this morning. I'm being serious. Some men get more cranky about the way their coffee tastes than they do about how their marriage is. More passionate about that. Cherish your wife. Daily make sure her needs are met. You know, it doesn't hurt guys every now and then to just send a text to your wife and just say, I love you. Send her a text and say, I pray for you. Send a text to her and say, I'm thinking about you. Cherish your wife. Can I tell you guys, I have asked this question to hundreds of ladies. And the question is, is there anything more important within your your marriage than to know that your husband loves you? I have never had a wife give me a different answer. Every, Every woman who's married wants to know that their husband deeply, deeply loves her. You cherish her. You value her. Let her see, we see that a husband, the leader, is to be a caregiver, a caregiver. First Peter 3, 7 says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. And that phrase, weaker vessel, has upset a lot of people over the many years. What that does not mean is that the woman is less important or less valuable 
than a man. And I've used this example before. I'll use it again here. If I stop at 7-Eleven around the corner here by the Stratford Green and I buy a big gulp and I suck down that uh, big gulp drink and I finish it and, and I'm on a long road trip and I take that plastic cup and I hurl it over my shoulder in the back seat, uh, uh, it's, it's going to bounce off the back seat and land on the, uh, the floorboard. In fact, if you were to drop that in a landfill and did nothing to it, it would probably still be there a hundred years later. Available to be used for more drink if you wash it out. If you take a crystal vase and you throw that over your shoulder, it's going to shatter in a million pieces. When the Bible says the woman is the weaker vessel, a crystal vase is far weaker than a 7-Eleven cup. But guess which one's more valuable? Guess which one's more important? Men, when you use your words to verbally assault your wife, you're angry her direction. You're throwing insults her way. You're unkind and nasty in your attitude. You're, you're, you're clunky and, 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 and you're banging around everything all the time. To remember, your wife is a, is a crystal vase. She is to be cherished and honored and valued. Let's move on and talk about the wife. The completer is to, be, uh, is to reverence her husband. The completer is to reverence her husband. Look at Ephesians 5 verse 33. I'm saying things here that are politically incorrect left and right. I know that. But there's a reason why it's politically incorrect. Because Satan hates God's method. He hates it. And he's done everything he can to brand the world's language against God's model. And again, we look at our homes. They're falling apart. We look at our culture. It's falling apart. And if I have to say some things that are scripturally accurate that end up being politically inaccurate, politically incorrect, then bless God, I want us to understand God's model so we can succeed in our homes. You show me a church that has strong families, I'll show you a strong church. You show me a church with weak families, I'll show you a weak church. Completer is to reverence her husband. Look at Ephesians 5.33. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. Look here. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. That word reverence is a strong, strong word. Men were only commanded to reverence God and no one else. Ladies, the only people you're commanded to reverence is God and the man you marry. That's it. You're not to reverence a king. You're not to reverence a boss. Reverence is a level above respect. If you have a version of the Bible that isn't King James, there's a good chance it says respect there. But the King James word is reverence. That's a level above respect. Wives, I need you to understand this. And if you attended our Love and Respect Conference, you've heard this before. For you, it will be a reminder. For the rest of you, this might be new territory. So listen intently. I have never shared this in a public church service. Wives, men need more than anything. What your men need more than anything is respect. That's what us men are built on. When you deprive a man of respect, you listening? You emasculate him. You you de-incentivize him from fulfilling his role to love you. Just like women need love to thrive, men need respect to thrive. Have you ever noticed, ladies, that when you are complaining and griping at your husband, and I mean you're on a roll, right? You Latin ladies in the room this morning? 
how do you know about Latin ladies? Well, I'm married to one. That gives me a right to speak on it, doesn't it? Some of you, no tiene pelo en la lengua, ¿verdad? You just let it fly. Listen to me, ladies. When you are critical of your husband in a harsh tone, he can't handle it. Men handle complaining and see it as contempt. If you've ever noticed that when you're hard on your husband, he just gets up and walks away, he does so because he's trying not to fight with you. He can't take it. Superman has his kryptonite, right? To a man, complaining is his kryptonite. You complain at your man, he sees it as disrespect, and it causes him to want to shut down. We live in a culture where women demand to be loved, uh, uh, demand to be loved regardless. I need you to love me unconditionally. And men, you ought to love your wives unconditionally. But ladies, God has called you to respect your husband unconditionally. What? I'm not going to respect a man. I'll, I'll respect you and you start acting respectable. How would you like it if your husband looked at you and said, I'll love you and you start acting lovable? Would that hurt? You see, when you're not lovable in that moment, there are still attributes about you that he loves. When he's not acting respectable in that moment, there are still attributes about him that you, you, you respect. And I'm not saying that you can't ever critique. I'm not saying that you can't ever point out a, a flaw or a shortcoming. The Bible says you're to reverence him. You're to help them see them in a way that's careful. What is your responsibility? Don't be neglectful of that. You're called to reverence your husband. Let her be. The completer is to encourage her husband. Encourage her husband. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. God built every woman with a strong desire to want to be loved. God has built every man with a strong desire to be honored. I love when my wife nestles up to me and says in my ear, you're the most handsome man in the world. You know, I know she's lying. I know it. But I love every minute of it. When my wife tells me I'm a great preacher or the greatest preacher, I'm not, I'm not stupid. I know there are preachers that are better at this than me. I'm well aware of that. But boy, I sure like to hear encouragement from my wife. You ladies here, when your husband teaches a class, don't go attend another class. You sit in your husband's class with him. Encourage him. Encourage him. Don't get in the car and say, well, you sure laid a dud today. Man, that was horrible. You want to deflate your husband? You want to cause him to want to sleep on the couch? That's a good way to do it. Listen, there are times where you, your husband may do something that he fail, fails at. He doesn't need you, Captain Obvious, to point it out. <laughs> he needs you to come behind him and wrap your arm around him and say, you'll get him next time. I believe in you. I believe in you. Ladies, the greatest thing you can say to your husband is I believe in you. 
When no one else does, I believe in you. Encourage your husband. Let her see the completer is to adorn her heart. Is to adorn her heart. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. In verse 3. 1 Peter 3. Please, I'd like all of you to turn over there, especially every lady here this morning. 1 Peter chapter 3. We okay this morning? Everybody all right? Look at verse 3. The Bible says, Who's adorning? Let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and wearing of gold or putting on apparel. Before I move on to verse 4, let me just say that Peter is not saying here it is a sin to plate the hair or to wear gold any more than he's saying it would be a sin to put on apparel. Ladies, please put on apparel. There's nothing wrong with these things. The issue is not the adorning of plating the hair, wearing of gold, or putting on of apparel. The issue is found in verse 4, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. There's nothing sinful about doing your hair, wearing jewelry, or putting on nice clothes. But ladies, listen, if you spend more time each morning adorning the outward than you do the inward, then your priorities are out of order. Ladies, I think many of you, um, this this is a speculatory comment. My observation of going to church for 38 years is that a lot of ladies get dressed up, not for their husbands, they get dressed up for other ladies in the church. They get dressed up to impress each other. While you're putting your makeup on, did you ever think that you can pray and talk to the Lord? Maybe have a Bible app open reading the scriptures to you while you're getting ready? Listen to some gospel singing or some preaching? God cares more about what you look on the inside than what you look like on the outside. Many times, I hope you're listening this morning, many times people hide their insecurities by dressing to the hilt, looking their best. They don't want anyone to know how broken they really are deep down inside. You're not fooling God. He knows. You're probably not fooling your husband or your children. They know. Nothing wrong with wearing nice clothes. Nothing wrong with wearing name brand clothes. Nothing wrong with uh, having uh, expensive makeup or getting your hair done. Nothing wrong with those things. You make sure you spend more time adorning your heart than you do the outside. You want to have a husband who is proud to call you his wife. and You make sure that he looks at you and says, as pretty as she is on the outside, she's even more beautiful on the inside. Let her notice the complier. The complier is to let her, A, obey his parents. Obey his parents. Ephesians chapter 6. In verse 1, first verse I probably was forced to memorize in my childhood. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Boy, I knew that one when I was three years old. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Notice it doesn't say obey your parents when they're nice to you. Notice it doesn't say obey your parents when they're 
unless, uh, unless they're being a hypocrite. Notice it doesn't say obey your parents uh, only when it's convenient. You're to obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Uh, let me just share this with you, uh, teenagers. Let me give you letter B, then I'll share this. Letter B, honor, honor uh, his parents. The compliers to honor his parents. Verse 2 and 3 goes on and talks about uh, that we're to honor. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, that thou mayest live long on the earth. Let me encourage all you teenagers to write these three things down. There are three ways with which you communicate to authority. Three ways by which you communicate to authority. Here they are. Number one, what you say. What you say. Number two, how you say it. How you say it. And number three, your body language. Your body language. Mom and dad say, go clean up your room. And instead of saying anything, you just... Are you obeying and honoring your parents? You might be, by the letter of the law, obedient if you actually do a good job cleaning your room. You're not honoring your parents. Don't talk back to your parents. Don't give them lip. As my uh, basketball coach told me in high school, lose the tude. Just drop it. Your parents are trying to get you to adulthood. And in case you think that's easy, wait till you're a parent one day. Because it's not. It, it really isn't. And they're doing the very best they can with what they know. I know a lot of parents struggle and a lot of parents make bad decisions. I, my, my wife and I, we've made some bad decisions along the way. We're not perfect parents. We aspire to be good parents. We aspire to be godly parents. Even if we weren't aspiring to be godly parents, the Otis is on you to obey and honor. The Bible says that you will live a long life and a healthy life if you do so. When you speak to your parents, speak to them with respect. When you speak to your parents, speak to them, look them in the eye. A lot of teenagers are good at giving one-word answers, right? How was school? Good. you have any tests? No. You want to eat dinner? Eh, maybe. Teenage boys are good at grunts. Eh, eh, eh. And each grunt has a different meaning, doesn't it? Look at me, teenagers. Look at me. I know I'm not, I've picked on the husbands, I've picked on the wives, and now I'm picking on you. I'm, I'm an equal opportunity offender today, okay? <laughs> look at me. Look at me. All you teens, look at me. You can be better than that. Speak to your parents in full sentences. Look them in the eye. Be respectful. Care for them. Love them. Make their job easy. Obey them. Honor them. Honor them. Say, how do I honor parents who are not honorable? You honor them by doing what's right, even when they don't deserve for you to do what's right. Honor them. Obey them. Don't become indifferent toward your responsibility. Number three, lastly, indifference toward biblical rewards. I move quickly. Letter A, notice, spiritual togetherness. Spiritual togetherness. First Peter 3, 7 says, Likewise, Ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. Give honor unto the wife as under the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together 
together of the grace of life. And this is speaking specifically of marriage, but can I just speak to the spiritual home uh, as togetherness? It ought to be that the home, the entirety of the home, the, 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 the man and the woman, the children, and some of you here have a single parent set up for one reason or another. Everyone who lives under your house, whether you're a single uh, parent, whether you are uh, a married couple with kids, whether you have a, a step uh, son, stepdaughter, uh, second marriage situation, Uh, inject God into the middle of your home and the reward that you'll experience is spiritual togetherness. Spiritual togetherness. By the way, if you have small children, begin this when they're little and let it be the only thing they ever know. The only thing they ever know. Spiritual togetherness. Be heirs together of the grace of life. Husbands, there's one driving thought that pushes me to be the best husband I can be each and every day of my life. And that is that one day my wife is going to give an account to God for the way she lived her life. And God is holding me accountable for how I prepare her for that final exam. Am I helping her? Am I washing her, as Ephesians 5 says, by the water of the world? Word, am I preparing her to stand before God and pass the test and hear, Well done, Angela, good and faithful servant. Many wives aren't very spiritual because their husband's not leading her to be spiritual. One day, Angela gives an account for her life. It is my heart's desire that God looks at her with a big smile on his face and says, You pleased me with your life. You pleased me with the way you You pleased me with the way you loved your husband. You pleased me with the way you raised your kids. You pleased me with how you love those grandbabies, uh, if God gives us those one day. You pleased me with the Christian woman that you were. I want her and I to be together. I have oftentimes thought when the two of us were at odds, how can two people who love each other so deeply be so mean and unkind to each other? You ladies are called to love your husbands, then love him. You men are called to love your wives, then love her. You two be together. You work through your differences in a respectful and careful way. You teenagers understand that you only get one mom and one dad, and you make sure you do your very best to honor them and love them because that relationship with them is going to last a lifetime. As long as you have parents that are living, you love them with all your heart. Spiritual togetherness. Letter B, we see structure and order. Structure and order. What are the rewards for following God's model? Structure and order. Listen, if that's all you get out of the message, that's a big deal. I hate chaos. Can't stand it. Uh, when my life is in upheaval, when things don't go the way, turn over to 1 Corinthians 11, by the way. When uh, my life is not going the way I would want and my schedule gets out of whack, uh, last Sunday morning I overslept a little bit and, and then I was hurrying to get to church and hurrying to get all my things done. And I did pray last Sunday morning, but I didn't pray as long as I normally do before church started. And, and my whole Sunday fell off. Up until the evening service, my whole Sunday fell off because I got out of structure and order. And listen, a lot of you, uh, you you enjoy going to school, you enjoy going to work, you enjoy uh, activities outside of the house, but when it's time to go home, you know, oh man, i got to go home. Because it's anything but structure and order. We're rebellious towards God's model because we label it as chauvinistic and sexist, but the model we adapt just brings chaos and disorder. And God says, do it my way and you'll have structure 
and order. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Notice the order here. It's God, the Father, and then God the Son. Watch this, ladies. Watch this. Is God the Son equal to God the Father? Yes. Is God the Father the head of God the Son? Yes. Then it's the husband. And then below the husband is the wife. Is the wife equal to the husband? Yes. Is the wife to follow the lead of the husband? Yes. Just as God the Son is submissive to God the Father, God has called the wife to be submissive to her husband. That is the order. And the children will be obedient to mom and dad. Doesn't make you less. It makes you a team player. Makes you a team player. It gives structure to your home. Well, my husband's this and my husband's that. That's between your husband and God. You love him. You encourage him. You reverence him. Spiritual togetherness. Structure and order. Letter C. What are the rewards? Answered prayer. First Peter chapter 3, verse 7 ends this way, and is being heirs together the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. This June, Angel and I will celebrate 15 years of marriage next month, in just a few days. Throughout our 15 years of marriage, there have been times where I've gotten on my knees to pray. And about two, two three, four, five minutes into the prayer, I've had to stop, get up off my knees and go into the presence of my wife and say, I am wasting my time to pray because you and I are not right. My prayers are hindered because there's problems between us. And they're silly things. They're, oftentimes, husbands and wives argue about things that are just dumb. We bicker over toothpaste caps and direction toilet papers put on the and the way beds are made and walking through house with shoes or no shoes. We argue about dumb stuff. But our eternal prayers are hindered because we can't get along on these trite, silly things. Listen, you get along with each other. You follow God's model. Then when you bend a knee, it's that much more powerful than I know that in a room this size, this sermon is difficult for some folks to listen to. I'm tender to that, and I shed a tear with many of you over the reasons why a sermon like this would be hard to listen to. Some of you in here are in a different place of life. These sermons don't directly apply to all of us. They do directly apply to all of us in the sense that we can use the information to be an encouragement to others. We need sometimes a man of God to stand up and tell it like it is, in the face of a culture who would label this as hate speech and say it's not hate speech. God is love, and everything from the Bible is love. Let's go forth and do our best to live it. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed. How many of you this morning would say, Pastor, something in the message spoke to me? Something in the message today, God put his hand and said, you need to improve here. Pastor, pray for me that I'll do my part. And I won't be indifferent toward my roles, my responsibilities. I won't be indifferent 
toward biblical rewards when it comes to the Christian home. Pastor, the enemy of indifference has bitten, snake-bitten me, snake-bitten our home. Pray that I'll lose the indifference. Pray for me, Pastor, that I'll do my part. If that's you here today, would you slip up your hand? Pastor, pray for me. Pray that I'll fulfill my role. Pray that I'll do my part. I see many hands. How many here say, Pastor, I know some folks that I love dearly. Indifference has bitten their home. Pastor, pray for me. God will be able to use me to encourage them away from indifference. If that's you, would you slip up your hands? I know some folks. Indifference has gotten them, gotten the best of them. Lord, today, would you use the message in our hearts? Encourage us. Help us to grow. Help us, Lord, to uh, be, 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 be people who are proactive about a home life that honors you. Lord, help us to embrace this.